So this morning, we are going to be talking about Revelation chapter 6, but it has a lot to do, uh, not chapter 6 in particular, but in the time that we're in right now, um, we're going to be talking about the fact that this is not the apocalypse. Now, you guys are all familiar with this. This is the uh, apocalypse shopping that people have been doing there. I was in uh, Sam's the other day, and the thing is, it's coming back. Toilet paper is coming back. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's sort of like Noah putting his, uh, you know, standing up at the top of the ark, opening the window, putting his finger out, and here comes the dove with a piece of toilet paper in its mouth, and you know you can find it. And so the thing was, is that unlike these guys, people were there buying it, but if you buy it at Sam's, the problem with buying toilet paper at Sam's is you can't just buy like eight rolls. you got to buy like 32. And so it looks like you're kind of buying a, a canoe or something like that. You know, you get you tell your wife, honey, lift up the other end. Let's see if we can get in the cart. Anyway, this is not the apocalypse. But... Jesus is coming back. And what we're going through right now and uh, the, talk, the talking that we're going to be doing today regarding Revelation chapter 6, they have something to do with one another. The idea that Jesus is coming back means that we need to be prepared. We need to help other people become prepared, be prepared for it. And what better kind of situation in that the entire world is going through this crisis with COVID-19. And so we'll be talking about that. And as I'm talking through these points, and there'll be a lot of information and things, I want you to be thinking about what God is doing in the world right now and how he might be wanting you to prepare your heart. That will be more the application in all of this. So, Why don't we pray, and then we will head into some very interesting information. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, We have come to learn and trust that you are in control of all things in life. We don't need to look to see who's the blame, humanly speaking, for what's happening in the world right now, because we understand that you are in control of all things. And so, Father, I would pray, we would pray, that you would use this situation to waken the hearts of people to show them and help them understand that uh, life does not go on forever and we do not control things, the veneer of our culture can be torn away very, very quickly and leave us very needy. And Father, I pray for your people. There are some people out there right now who are on the front lines who are just operating like heroes, doing amazing things and uh, even um, putting their own lives sort of on the line. But when all of this is done, Father, we want our hearts to be prepared because of our common experience that we have shared with people all over the world now. Uh, we can talk with them and we can understand the fear and we can understand the isolation, but we understand the hope. And so I just pray through all of this that you would get us ready to be used by you to reach out into a lost world because we have the answer, we have the Savior. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here is the question. What is the apocalypse? Usually when people talk about the apocalypse, it means disaster. 
it means something that is just, you know, where everything is wrecked. And we, we've seen so many good, actually good science fiction movies about apocalyptic sort of things. But we really do not maybe understand what the apocalypse means. Now, it doesn't mean this. These are apocas and those are their lips. But this is not the apocalypse. I hope somebody out there laughed because, personally, I, I think it's funny, and I've been sharing this with the youth, and they probably don't think it's funny either. Okay, so here, here it is. Apocalypse. What does that mean? Apocalypse simply means revelation. That's why they refer to the book of Revelation as the apocalypse. It means revealing. So let, let me just show you these two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing, you see that's in red, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Greek word in red, apokalupsin, that, that was to say, you can hear apocalypse in there, right? All it means is revealing. It doesn't mean necessarily disaster at all. That's something we brought to the world. It only means revealing. In Luke 17.30, it says, So it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Again, revealed is in red. Apocalypse, and I won't even try that one, is also in red. It just means revealing. So, when we're thinking about what the apocalypse is, all we're talking about is Jesus Christ revealing himself. Well, we'll see that there's a little more to it than that, but that is basically what it means. Now, the other thing that's common regarding um, people just thinking about uh, Revelation and everything are the seven seals. These are not the seven seals. The, you, you'd find these maybe at a circus, and they look like they're a lot of fun. Uh, basically, the apocalypse, these seven seals, and these are what we're going to be talking about later, they are not so much fun. And that's basically chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. And so we'll be talking about those. But before we do, what I want to do is I want to like ask three questions before we get to Revelation chapter 6 and we start seeing the Lord opening these seals, there are some background thoughts that I think we need to think about with regard to uh, Jesus revealing himself and breaking these seals and the apocalypse. So before we get to the seven seals, three things. How pressing is Jesus' revealing? In other words, how urgent is it? What what does it look like when it happens? Uh, the second thing is, what's the timeline? Now, this is going to be really important in talking about the seven seals because we only have seven years to deal with. So we're going to have to look at the timeline and we're going to have to see where those seven seals actually fit because there's seals and then there's trumpets and then there's bowls and all of that. And I think that when we see where the seals come in, uh, it'll be kind of also very revealing. And then the last question is, why is Jesus's revealing negative? I mean, why doesn't Jesus just show up with a whole big bin of sunshine lollipops and hand them out 
or, or go to the UN and take front stage at the UN and say, everybody, let's just join hands. I'm here for peace. When he comes, it doesn't quite look like that. And there's some reasons for it. Actually, within the seven seals, there are reasons for that. And so, for this first question, the pressing days of the Son of Man. There is an urgency uh, that, that we, you know, even though we're looking like in this COVID-19 thing, and we're thinking, you know, this has really changed things. It will be nothing. This, this, in comparison, will be a walk in the park to what happens when Jesus breaks that first seal. Um, in Luke 17, Jesus has actually been in a discussion with some Pharisees, and they say, so when is the, what does the kingdom of God look like when it's coming? And Jesus gave them kind of a cryptic answer because they really didn't want an answer anyway. And what he says is true. But you get the idea that after he gives them this answer, they just walk away from him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, the time is coming when you will wish to see just one of the days of the Son of Man. So the whole seven-year period is the day of the Son of Man. He says, what you're going to be going through as my disciples is going to be so um, persecution-oriented, that you will desire at times to see just one of the days of what it looks like when I come. They're going to be that bad. And he goes on in that passage, and he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage. But on the day that Noah entered the ark, boom, it all ended. The idea being that when these days start, everything that looks normal will end. And there are some semblances to normal, especially if you go by Walmart right now. Um, there were more people. We, we did curbside pickup today. There were more people at Walmart in the store, in the parking lot, than you normally see on a Saturday. Social distancing? Ah, that looks like normalcy. During the tribulation, during the seven-year period, there will not be any normalcy. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he says it was like that in the days of Lot, too. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day when Lot stepped out of the city, it was never the same. These days have that character. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the birth pangs. Now, birth pangs, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, some guys have actually lived through this. If you've been close to your wife during this, the, the time of her uh, delivering a baby, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a cramp, but it is not delivery, right? It's just a cramp. So I'm playing Scrabble with my wife. Um, as she's waiting for Helena to be born. And it, and it happened. I got this amazing word. I'm serious. There were like, I think there were three Q's in there and there were several Z's and you can look it up. I think there's a word like that in the official Scrabble dictionary. And I finally got the word and I may have been on a triple word score. I can't remember. But all of a sudden she says, it's coming. The baby's coming. And I'm going, yeah, right, because I got this word, right? 
And I kept trying to say, hey, we should play. And she had no time for Scrabble. It, the delivery process ends everything normal. And that, I think, is what Jesus is, is alluding to when he talks about that. Because the thing is, well, a woman is, you know, you've heard of long labors, like, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours, something like that. You can't say in the middle of the, the whole thing in six hours, after six hours, honey, you want to go to the mall? No. Nothing is normal at that time until it's over. What I'm trying to get to here with this is that when Jesus breaks that first seal, life on earth, as everyone has known it, will come to an end. There will be a preoccupation. There will be a nervousness. There will be a stress during those seven years that people have never, ever had to deal with before. So the days of the Son of Man will be extremely stressful. There will be no normal life when Jesus reveals himself. Now, you notice I've got these two things on the bottom here. Uh, two are in one bed. Two are working together. One is taking the other left. Now, I'm just going to say this in a way of trivia because uh, it's more than trivia. Uh, years ago, I read, a, I read a book, and it was kind of debunking the... the uh, proved tribulation rapture and everything. And they brought this up as a case in point because when Luke, when, when, when I say not Luke, but when Jesus uses this in this place, in Luke 17, and this is before he gets to Jerusalem, it's just a whole different um, talk. Uh, he said, one will be taken and the other is left. Two will be grinding together, one is taken and the other left. And the disciples say, where? And he said, where the body is, there will the eagles be gathered. And so this particular writer was saying, oh, this is judgment. No, it's not. Because when you look at Matthew 24, Jesus uses exactly the same illustration. And the only topic there is, where will the sign be? Where's the sign going to be? Are you going to be out in the desert, Lord? Are you going to be at the Hyatt Regency? Uh, where are you going to be? How are we going to know you come? And Jesus only has one word to say for them, to them. Look up. All he's saying is look up. There's like, there's almost like one of those weird jokes, right? Two guys are walking with each other. Maybe they're from Milwaukee. Maybe they're Aggies. They could be from University of Texas. And one guy says, Oh, look, a dead bird. And the other guy goes, Where? Ah. But see, this is where it holds true. Because where, how do you know where the body is? You look up. And Jesus' only focus in this illustration is look up. Something is going to happen. Two on that day, he says, two will be together in one bed that evening. One is taken and the other left. The disciples say, where? Where is he taken? Jesus says, look up. So, I mean, that doesn't explain the entire rapture, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying they're taken up. They're not being judged someplace in an undisclosed location. Okay, so the days of the Son of Man are going to be very pressing when Jesus breaks that first seal. So the timeline. Now, this is where we have to do a little bit of work here. So we have we only have seven years to work with in this. Now, we know because, and I, and I hope that you guys know the Scripture well enough. I put some references up here, but it's just the idea that the Bible says... The 70th week of Daniel is 70, seven years. 
there will be someone who will make a strong covenant with Israel for one week, for those seven years. So that covenant, that peace treaty, is going to be made with Israel. And we know it's the Antichrist who does that, but he's going to break it right in the middle. So the middle point is three and a half years. Now, you can see on here the, uh, I've got the bowls. You know, maybe other people have different schemes in this, but I think this is, it, it kind of works out through the book of Revelation. The bowls are in the second three and a half years. The great tribulation, uh, it, when people designate it like that, is the last three and a half years. At the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist comes into the temple, the abomination that makes desolate, and he desecrates the temple in Jerusalem. So we know that that's an absolute thing. Also, if you read Zechariah, and I think some of this is in Ezekiel too, uh, there is an army from the north that comes down. So the idea is this. In Israel, for the first three and a half years, although there are things happening on earth that are bad, Israel remains fairly well unscathed. The two witnesses, they will be in Jerusalem for two and a half years. So they have to have time to be in Jerusalem for two and a half years. Now the Antichrist cannot come into Jerusalem and do what he does if the two witnesses are there. We know the two witnesses get killed. I think they get killed right at the midpoint. And I think the Antichrist is the guy who does it. Because while they're roaming around, you're not desecrating the temple. Right? That makes sense to me. But in all of this, because Israel is unscathed, some country in the far north, um, some people think, you know, far north above Israel, it's Russia, it could be Russia. I don't know, maybe somebody will inhabit the Arctic Circle. I don't know. I don't think they'll be that far north. But at any rate, they're going to come down, and I think what happens is they look, and they look down at Israel, and they say, Israel is still, I mean, they haven't suffered everything that everybody else has suffered. And guess what? We just found out they have toilet paper down there. And so they get in their cars and trucks and tanks, and they come down there. But as they come down, they're looting and collecting junk, right? They're filling wagons and U-Hauls and everything with everything they've looted and pillaged. And they camp out in Jordan around the Dead Sea. Now, I think the Antichrist... You know, I'm filling in a lot of stuff here. But I think the Antichrist lets him because he doesn't like the two witnesses either. And he and and Jerusalem is kind of a thorn in his side. He lets this army come, but they get wiped out. And they get wiped out in that area and they leave all their stuff there. And then the Antichrist comes in. And this is where Jesus says this stuff about, if you're on your rooftop and you see the abomination of desolation happening and you've got your stuff in the house, do not come down and get your stuff. You run. And where are they running? They're running to the Black Sea, to the wilderness. And if you're out in the field and you hear that the temple has just been desecrated, you don't turn around, you run. And they're running in that direction. And the thing is, God's going to take care of them for three and a half years out there. So that's the last three and a half years, in the first three and a half years, you've got the two witnesses. Now, if these guys are going to set up in Jerusalem for three and a half years, something there, there needs to be enough time for them to do that. And it's like, so like the seals, where are the seals going to fit in there? And also the trumpets are during this period of time. How are they going to be able to witness 
in relative, you know, without falling down because the ground's shaking, uh, for two and a half years. What I'm getting to is I think that the seals happen relatively quickly together, right at the beginning of the tribulation. The 144,000, John is going to be talking about that next week. They have to be able to be put into place. And it looks like the only time they're going to be, if you, once we look at the seals, the only time that's going to be able to happen is after the sixth seal is broken. Because the sixth seal is, is really kind of a dynamic thing. And I think the world is going to have to regroup after that sixth seal is broken. I think it's going to set a spiritual tone and they will be the missionaries to go out and take the advantage of it. Just like I'm getting to with regard to this whole thing about COVID-19. The world is experiencing something. They're going to experience something there. The 144,000 are going to be groomed for that moment. And as soon as these people are ready, they're going to go out. And then the trumpets take place. And according to the Word of God, the trumpets are going to... uh, We see the heavenly side of it, but the two witnesses will be the earthly side, like Moses and Aaron, calling down those trumpet actions on earth. And that's why everybody's going to hate them. That's why when the these two guys finally get wiped out at the three and a half year mark, people are buying each other Christmas gifts and, you know, they're, well, whatever. There won't be, I don't think it'll be Christmas. And Amazon, I don't think it'll be up and running. So I don't know if they give people for, for gifts, maybe sticks or rolls of toilet paper. I don't know what. But the point is, and that's what I'm getting to, all of this stuff has to fit together. We're looking at chapter six, and I really believe, and this is just me, that chapter six happens pretty quick. Now, I'll give you one thing here. You notice on the chart here, um, the two witnesses go for 1260 days. Now, back then, a year was comprised of 320 days or 300 and, oh no, it, I'm sorry, it was comprised of 360 days. Nowadays, we have 365 days, right? So maybe they had leap months back then to get everything squared up. I don't know how they did it. But the thing is, we have 365 days. So using my great mathematical talent, I figured out that there are 17 days. Now, I'm not saying the seals happen in 17 days. But they happen pretty quickly. So, the last thing I want to talk about is, why is this period of time so negative? And as you can see up here, it has to do with blood. The righteous blood that has been spilt on the earth. Uh, Jesus had something very interesting to say to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23:35. He says, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And he says, truly I tell you, it will come on this generation. That generation that crucified Jesus, it came upon them. At 70 AD, the country no longer existed. The temple was destroyed. What's been happening since then? Who's been perishing since Jesus rose from the dead? Those who believe in him. Uh, We refer to them as martyrs, but the word is witness. And as Jesus' people in the church age have gone around and they have shared what Jesus Christ did for, for them, 
Many of them have lost their lives. That, that still happens today. During the Syrian conflict, many people may not be aware of this. Hundreds of thousands of lives were lost in all of that. But whether they were rebels or whether they were the Syrian forces, they took that opportunity to go into towns of Christians and completely destroy them. And there are people who are dying on this planet who believe in Jesus Christ every day. And I think God takes that personally. I think he takes innocent blood personally. And I think it will be required of this generation. And what I mean is that generation that is there when Jesus comes, he is coming for just justice and judgment and retribution. And another thing on to that is that I fully believe that God thinks that life begins at conception. If he can say that he knew us before we were born, then the birth is not the beginning of life. And where he says, I knew them, be- I knew him before he was born, that certainly means that at conception a life came into being and God knew that life. And I think that all the innocent blood that we have shed, I mean, that's what it says about Manasseh. Uh, because of the innocent blood, God would not look the other way. And I think that this generation is going to be held responsible for it. And then in Luke 19, very quickly, Jesus is telling a parable here. And you've got to read that parable because it's it's great and it's very dark at the end. It says, but his citizens, this king who went into a far country to receive a kingdom in return, Jesus is talking about himself. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. We have had on this planet now 1,987 years, depending upon when you judge Jesus' death. Some people think that Jesus was born three years before he was born, and if that's the case, uh, then it's been 1,990 years. But the point is, we have had a lot of time to be ready for his coming. And I think right now, if we were to take a a poll, or if we were to take a vote, I don't think anybody on earth would want Jesus to come and reign over us. Not too many people. And so when he comes, he is coming as a king, but he's opening the door, and that particular door is allowing people a final opportunity to come to him as their savior. And that's what the 144,000 are about. So, here we go. We have the seven seals, and we're going to be talking about these. And I believe, you know, obviously these are right at the beginning. The Lamb has, is on the throne. We know, we find out now that He is worthy because He gave His life uh, for mankind. He is the Son of Man, the King, who will rule over all of mankind forever. And He sits upon the throne now that He has the scroll in hand, and He begins to break the seals. It says here, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now the thing is, because this is written positively, a lot of people have looked at this and said, No, 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 this has got to be a disaster. Whatever this is has to be a disaster. This has to be the Antichrist. Now, I hold an entirely different view, and you, 
we're all free to disagree with each other on this, but I think that the one who is coming out to conquer is Jesus. I think he is coming out uh, because he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men, right? He has conquered death, and we are the first fruits of that. I think this is Jesus coming and not touching down, but calling the saints, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he calls, he has the right to do that. And so, how is this going to bring disaster? But even before I get there, um, another couple of questions is, how can Jesus be sitting on the throne as the Lamb? And then, we're seeing a vision of him riding out as the rider. Well, I, I would say this, is that even though I believe, and, and, and we should, that there is a literal representation to all of this, there's also a very figurative one. And John is standing there, as John Tillery said, on the day of the Lord, and he's watching this, I guess he's, is he projected to the future? See, the, the thing I'm saying, because of the nature of the vision itself, there's nothing that says it could not be Jesus on that, that horse. Because the nature of this prophecy is such that uh, he's projecting forward what is going to happen. So, I don't think that that is a big obstruction here. But what I want to, what I want to talk about, and I've mentioned this before, is if Jesus came to earth and took away all the believers, and again, we're working with maybe say 8 billion people, and only 5% of those people were believers, that would be removing 400 million people from the earth. That is larger than the United States but I'm sure a lot of the United States would still be left here. He would be taking believers from all over the world. And the thing is, we have this one scripture that talks about he who restrains. The thing is, what is restraining evil in the world right now? The Holy Spirit working through his people. What would happen in Congress right now if all the believers were taken out of Congress? Who would be uh, those people? There, were, there would still be a few. But who would be the people who, are, who would be saying, no, life begins at conception? No, you can't do that. The thing is, just being here, we exercise a certain, um, uh, we make a difference. We, there's, there's, there's something that we bring to the table where people see that they need to be conservative or they, they need to make honest decisions or whatever it would be. Take 800 or 400 million people from the earth, and that creates an incredible vacuum. And so I think that when Jesus does that, the Jews, I think, are going to be woken up, and they're going to say, it was true, because they know these scriptures. And the world is going to have to deal, I mean, we're talking right now about thousands of people, a few thousand people, thousands, whatever, dying from COVID-19. And we miss those people. What would happen if 400 million people were just gone? Oh, it would, it would be devastating. So look now at the second seal. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Now, 
You can understand the rapture happening, like Paul says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Okay? So what about war? How long does it take to start a war? How long would it take North Korea to go into South Korea if the United States was not there? A couple of days? Especially with China pushing from behind, like they always have. Do you realize that during this COVID-19, whatever that guy's name is over in North Korea, has been launching missiles like it's the 4th of July. And everybody's looking the other way. He's ready for action. And what about China? People who are up in the news, you've heard from a couple of news sources, at least in the last week or so, China has been conducting nuclear tests. What for? To get rid of COVID-19? I doubt it. There is a restraint that we as believers bring into the world. You remove that restraint, you tear away the veneer of even a cultured heart, and war starts pretty quickly. There are places in the world right now that if the right forces were taken out of play, there could be genocide again. When we lived in Europe, uh, we saw genocide with regard to the Serbs and the um, Croatians. It could happen at any time. And I have a feeling that after the initial shock of whatever it is that happens with that first seal being broken, the second seal will come pretty quickly. North Korea will see an opening in South Korea. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not wanting to write a book or whatever, but People who have aggressive hearts and people who want to take advantage surely will when they see that the way is open for them to do that. And then we get to the third seal. Verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarii, but, and do not harm the oil and wine. Now, this is going to be talking about famines and shortages in the earth, our economic system breaking down. Well, with COVID-19 now, let's see, it's taken us like three months, well, at least to get bad in some areas, right? And and really and truly, uh, I, I really think that if everything were to, um, if we could get around this thing, we could probably get the economy back up and running. But did you notice how quickly we ran out of water, bottled water? And, uh, and of course, you know, toilet paper is the running joke or, or the rolling joke on this thing. But shortages? And imagine if, and see, this is what you never see in these disaster movies, what would happen if some of those people who were taken and some of the people who wind up getting killed are working at sanitation plants and water works and electric plants? See, in all the apocalyptic movies, I like this one, um, We Are Legend with Will Smith. I Am Legend with Will Smith. He goes back to his house after having to dodge the zombies all day, and he flicks the switch, and he's got power. Hmm. And he goes and gives his dog a bath. Oh, he's got good running water in that house. What, the zombies are running the plants? No. See, we assume because we know we need those things. But what about a world where those things don't exist? 
or becoming scarce very quickly. So, this third guy comes out and he creates shortages all over the world. And you know how people are fighting each other at Costco and doing whatever. Uh, the animal in us comes out pretty quickly. And verse 7, He opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, most commentators who look at the fourth seal basically say that what happens during that time is a fourth of the population of the earth dies. Certainly is given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill. You know, so what would a fourth of the population look like? Would there be any place on the earth, and we don't want to take China into this equation, would there be any other place on the earth where you have a fourth of the world's population? India? Pakistan? Bangladesh, and Indonesia. You put all four of those together and you have a nice two billion people. The thing is, something is going to happen. And where it happens, whether it is completely around the globe, but it looks like it is a, it, it, it could be in one place. You know, I mean, we've known this for years. We're insulated in the United States, but if anything happens over in Bangladesh, you lose 10,000 people. And there are places in India, too. Um, you know, we talk about the population density in New York, but it's like, I think New York looks like the open range compared to New Delhi. The thing is, is that there will be places on the earth where these things actually can happen. And the only reason I'm stating it like this is because I think this happens rather quickly. It creates such disorder in the earth that they will be looking for a leader to help pull it together so he can make a seven-year treaty with Israel. And that seven-year treaty would mean, however, that this has to happen pretty quickly. So we have maybe a fourth of the Earth's population dying. Now that is way beyond this. I mean, if that's what happens then, what we're going through with the coronavirus is a walk in the park. And then... Verse 9, he opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? See, that's the point, isn't it? Why does Jesus come in the way he's coming in? Because he has been watching his witnesses being mowed down for almost 2,000 years. And there will still be an opportunity for the world to respond because the 144,000 are going to be out there, the greatest missionary force that has ever hit the earth. But when you get to these guys, these souls, these people under the altar, they are crying out for vengeance. They're crying out for justice. They have borne the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they are saying, how long will you delay now? Um, there is actually a parable toward that. The one of the, um, uh, the 
the judge who neither feared God nor respected man, he said, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll grant her her wish, I'll vindicate her, otherwise she'll wear me out with her continual coming. And Jesus says, listen to what the judge says, and will God wait long over his elect who cry to him night and day? He says, he's not going to wait long at all. He will vindicate them immediately. And during the tribulation, what it seems like is happening is as the people during the tribulation, believers are crying out, God is responding almost immediately kind of like a one-to-one push on this stuff. But here you have the martyrs. And why are the martyrs brought in here? Because I believe this is why Jesus is coming in judgment. And people still have the opportunity to respond. But when he comes here, it is because of those that he loves who have shed their blood and trying to further his testimony. And it says here then, verse 11 Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. A very strong theme through the uh, uh, book of Revelation is God giving up his people to death, but to show why his judgment is just and why he um, he can judge the world. They didn't have to kill his people, but they will, and it brings judgment upon them. Okay, and then verse 12, Then he opened up the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. All the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, it doesn't say they disappear. It just says they move. That'll come later. Then the kings of the earth. Now, see, this is what we're getting to. You know, it's like, ah, whatever. I mean, certain people live a certain lifestyle, and they've got enough to spoil. You know, we'll make it through. This is the United States, too. We'll make it through. Where it... somehow we'll get beyond this. But what God is doing here is so interesting. And it's so interesting that it follows the martyrs because what he's doing is shaking the entire galaxy. He isn't just shaking the earth. I mean, when it talks about the stars falling, I I like to see that, man. You know, I'm happy if I ever see one shooting star. This isn't going to look like shooting stars. This is going to be looking like something's come unglued. And it's going to cause absolute fear because the thing is if even the ground that you stand on cannot be relied upon the very foundation of the earth the foundation of life gets shaken and the thing is it wakes people up because this is very interesting what it says here it says then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So what is interesting here is that there's a recognition that this is from God. It's not like, okay... um, you know, on a TV interview, uh, Joe, what do you think about this? 
well, you know, I just think, you know, the heavens and the earth have been up there a while. They're probably wearing out a little bit. No, there won't be any of that. What there will be is everyone saying, this is God. And do you see how this is a perfect setup for the 144,000? Because the next chapter, Revelation 7, is where they are sealed and consecrated and sent out. Now the world is ready. And then the seventh trumpet doesn't actually happen until Revelation chapter 8. Or the, seven, the, the seventh seal doesn't happen. And that's what introduces the trumpets. And I believe this is where the two witnesses will be in Jerusalem, be doing their thing. And at the same time, the trumpets are not a lot of fun either. God is getting the world ready. So back to the timeline here. That's why I put the seals right at the beginning. And I'm not saying it's going to happen in 17 days, but I can't see it taking very long. It is going to be such a blast and such a shock to people that the world will never be the same during those seven years. They will need someone to come in and organize them, and we know who that's going to be. And he will make a peace treaty with Israel, but he's going to break it. And during this time, now that people have been crying out and they understand that all of this apocalypse, all of this revealing has been of the one seated on the throne, they will maybe, some of them, be ready to listen. Now, what about us? These are all things that you can look back at. They're obviously written in the text. And um, uh, you can find what you want to find, but... The correspondence I see here is that God has brought us to an unprecedented time in our lives. We are experiencing something that everyone on earth is experiencing, and this is just one of the birth pangs. This is like a minor cramp when you compare it to these seals. Why is God doing this? I think we need to be asking that question, but even beyond that, very quickly say, how should we be prepared now when this is done? Are we ready? Are we prepared to go talk to people and say, yeah, I experienced the same thing you did, but here's the deal. God says when Jesus comes, and he's coming, that we need to be ready. We need to be ready for him. We need to have our hearts laid out before him. Somehow this has to be something that right now as we're going through it, we're thinking about. And so this is why I urge people, I've urged the teens to do this, stay in shape. Uh, If you have more time now to read the Word of God, read the Word of God. Allow it to permeate you. If you haven't been spending so much time with the Lord in this last year, now you have the time. I, I know you want to binge watch on Netflix and all this stuff, and I'm saying, I really am saying, You need to be giving the Lord His due time. You need to keep your heart in shape. You need to keep your body in shape. You know, (laughs) it was one of these jokes about somebody going through all this, and he says, yeah, when I'm done with this, you know, I'll be ready for them to do a reality series. Welcome to my 600-pound life. You don't need that. We need to be disciplined now. We need to be thinking about what the Lord is doing, and are we ready Uh, If you don't know how to share your faith with someone, wouldn't this be a great time? There's probably 80 billion things on the web that you can find. Wouldn't it be good to spend a little bit of time and binge on that? 
These are great days. I think the Lord is opening opening up a lot of things for us as believers. And one of the things to look at too is where is your heart and hope? Um, and it's not, you know, it's not anything you need to be ashamed about. But when we face something like this, when you face even the thought of your own death, if you're sitting with a doctor, with someone you love, and they come out and they look at this other person and they say, you're in stage four. What does that do to your faith? Are you strong enough to receive news like that? Are you strong enough to be strong for someone else? Does your theology matter? Does it really mean something that God is sovereign? That Jesus Christ died? That you will live forever? That death is simply walking over a black little mark on the sidewalk and you will be in eternity with the Lord of glory? Is that what that means to you? Because see, this is where we need to reorient our hearts and our hope and see if what we believe is really real. If it can carry a burden. And this is the time to, I mean, if you're feeling weak, call someone up. But this is the time for each one of us to do business with God and say, you know what? I really do need to think this through. I need to have my heart completely with you. I've been relying on other things. I've been thinking that the doctor's going to save me. I've been thinking that my credit card was going to keep me out of trouble. But that stuff isn't working anymore. Where is your heart and your hope? And then the other thing is, can you see the need? Can you see the need? All around us are people. In your neighborhood, I don't know, I, you know, I wave at my, my friends. They don't know who I am. I'm the masked man when I walk around my neighborhood, right? You know, if I see anybody, if I, if I don't see them, you know, I, I take the thing down. But as soon as I see somebody coming out the door, boom, that thing goes on. It's a, it's a great time to, after this, to meet your neighbors. Do you see the need there? How about in your family? Do you have people in your family who are, are struggling with this? Or they're putting on a good face? Um, you know, even in, in terms of encouraging them or writing them something, give it a try. What about back at the office? What about back at school? There are people in need. Do you see the need? Recently, I've had the, uh, uh, just uh, because I know him, uh, Rajan Shahi, a friend of mine who lives in New York, he lives in Elmhurst. He lives in the epicenter of what's going on in New York City. And, um, you know, I, I'm seeing it from uh, the safeness of suburbia. He's looking out his window and he can see the hospital in Elmhurst. And he can see the trucks that are out there, that the cooling trucks for the corpses and these sorts of things. And these guys are out there uh, meeting the need, uh, taking their lives and, and putting them out there where they could probably get this thing to. Um, the deal is, is that in a time like this, we need to realize that we are here to be servants. We have the hope. We need to see the need that people have and meet that hope. And I just leave you with this. Jesus was talking <clears throat> to his guys and he said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. And right after that, he came into another situation with Zacchaeus, and he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to be a servant. 
He has come to seek. When he comes again, it will be to reveal that he always was the king. We have this chance right now to serve. Just like our Lord did. What a privilege. And what a time of need and what a great time of opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. As we look at these things that are going to be happening in the future, um, it's uh, it, it gives us a fair comparison. Because what we're going through right now, although it is serious, and although it needs to be taken with a certain amount of wisdom and seriousness, it is nothing like what is going to happen when your son breaks that first seal in those first six seals. And Father, we pray that you would help us to use these opportunities because we live in your truth. We see what's going to happen. We know what's coming. We look at this and we say, maybe, Lord, maybe now is the time that we need to be praying this. Lord, open up the hearts of people in my family. Open up the hearts of people at work. Open up hearts in my neighborhood. And I don't know what to do when, when this whole thing is done except what my Lord did. He came to seek the lost. He came to be a servant. And that's how we can be just like Him. Help us to use this time that we have to um, to really think about uh, sharing our faith and um, uh, things that we can do with our gifting and with our talents, whatever those might be. But I pray that this would change your church into a church that is zealous for good works, wanting to get out and be among lost people, wanting to help people who have been without hope understand that there is a great hope, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to our time. And we pray that you would get us ready to follow you diligently. We just thank you for your grace and love in Jesus' name. Amen.